All right. Uh, morning again. Now, I don't, uh, I don't know what friendship was like for you when you were 10 years old, but I can probably guess. Friendship when you're a 10-year-old is actually pretty simple, right? You just hang out with your friends. You, you played outside. Uh, maybe you played video games together. Uh, some of you ladies got like those uh, a BFF friendship necklaces. You know what I'm talking about? Like you had half the heart. They had the other half. Uh, just they never wore it, but you did. Uh, you know, right? Even for a lot of us as young adults, like our friendships were really unnatural. You just called your friends and you hung out every weekend just trying hard to stay out of trouble. Some of you tried less hard to stay out of trouble maybe as a, a young adult. Uh, if, if you went to college, uh, especially if you lived on campus, I mean, your whole experience, your life at that point was just lived out with friends. But then what happens is you enter into your mid-20s. Maybe even reach a 30. Now, I know some of you aren't there yet, and so just listen up. For a lot of people, friendship gets harder and harder as you get older. So if you throw a spouse in the mix, especially you throw kids in the mix, uh, it gets harder, right? Turns out babies actually take a lot of time, uh, and it's super exhausting, right? You can't just uh, leave your baby at home when you go hang out with your friends, right? And so what happens is soon enough, our friendships become more utilitarian than they do just regular old friendships. In America, I think we might even want to call them consumer friendships. It's like you still have friends, of course, but now more than ever, it seems like the only purpose of them is for them to just be there in case you need somebody. Like, you keep in contact with a few friends still, like once in a while, but mostly the only reason you're keeping in contact with them is in case someday you might need a friend. Like, if you get in a season where you're feeling really down, you're having a tough uh, season of life, or maybe you someday are going to need something fixed and your friend knows how to fix it, well, then at least you still have a friend to call. And unfortunately for many of us as adults, that's what friendship now looks like. Now, of course, not all of that is bad, but in in a culture like ours that is almost completely submerged in consumerism, I'm not sure that we've realized yet that many of us as, as adults have essentially reduced our friendships to consumer friendships. Our friends, in a sense, have become like Amazon or Netflix or a plumber or a therapist. They're just someone you can call on if you need something. But that's it. I think sometimes, even in the church, uh, we can be guilty of talking about friendship like this, as if friends are only there for our own benefit. Uh, Maybe you've heard me before, or uh, or another pastor, uh, use the example of, okay, let's say you get in a really tight situation, or uh, you're driving your car late at night for some reason, it's 11 o'clock, your car breaks down, and you need a a ride home. And if you're not going to call a family member and you're going to call a friend, who would you call? I want you to think about this. Who would you call? Now, we talk about friendship like that a lot, that we need friends to support us to make our life better. And that's true, but if we only talk about that side of it, then all friendship is is just another thing that we consume for our own benefit. Like, here's an interesting twist on that exact same example. So think back again to your car breaking down. It's 11 o'clock. You need a ride. Now, you might have a list in your head of two or three friends that you might call in that situation, 
But here's an interesting question for you. Whose list are you on? Whose list are you on? Do any of your friends have you on their list? Like you're the person they would call at 11 o'clock. Or would they, as they start going through the Rolodex in their mind of their friends, would they get to your name and go, nah, like I really wouldn't want to wake them and bother them. And I don't think they really want to get out right now anyway. So next person. Are you on anybody's list? I think it's a hard question. I fear that too many of us in this room aren't on anyone's list, and it's because we've reduced our friendships to merely just consumer friendships. The only reason we keep them is for our own benefit. Now, if you think about that, I think that's actually a natural outcome in our society, because in our society, in American society, we've determined that the very purpose of life is to find your own happiness. Everything is about us. But here's what I want you to see from the Word of God today, from the Bible. That isn't the way to happiness, and it most certainly isn't the way to friendship. So I want you to follow along in the Word today. Uh, There's a Bible under every chair. It says, great to have it in front of you. Go ahead and grab it. Uh, We're going to be on page 876. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, and maybe you're here visiting for the dedication today, and you've never actually read the Bible on your own, I want you to take this Bible with you today. That's our, that's our gift to you. And just start reading. Start maybe in the book of Matthew and exploring what Christianity actually is about. So we're going to be page 76. You can use the Renovation Chirp app as well if you want to follow along that way. And we're going to look at one of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a teaching that he gave to his disciples the day before he died. And so shortly after this, he's going to get arrested. And the next day, he will be crucified. So this is John chapter 15. Uh, We're going to start at verse 12. Jesus says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. All right, this is a really simple passage, but it's really powerful. I think this is really counterintuitive to how most of us live, but my guess is that you know that these words of Jesus are true deep down in your soul. Because when you experience someone sacrificing for you, you're going to experience love in a deeper way than you've ever experienced it before. Now, this is what true friendship is supposed to look like. So look at verse 12 again, if you have it in front of you. Look at what he's saying. Love each other as I have loved you. We, in our friendships, we're supposed to love as Jesus loved. Well, how did Jesus love? It was in the next verse. He laid his life down for his friends. That night when he was arrested, it, it actually should have been us. We should have been arrested. It should have been us on the cross being punished for our sin, right? For all of our jealousy all of our greed, all of our lies, all of our lust. We deserve the holy wrath of God. But Jesus looks at you like a friend and says, I will lay my life down in their place. And he dies on the cross in your place. There is no greater love than that. So this, Jesus says, is our model for friendship. 
And I think it's important as we're doing this friendship series that we look at the model of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does this actually look like in your life? Because almost no one in this room is ever going to have to literally give their life in friendship. Now, of course, there are people who do that, right? In the line of duty or in war. But for most of us, applying this passage is going to look a little bit different. Jesus is asking you to die, not literally, but to die to yourself, as Jesus teaches elsewhere in the scriptures. That means to die to your selfish desires. And that can look kind of different. Now, there's many different ways this can sort of uh, surface in your friendships. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a friend right now who's just going through a really hard time. I would guess the majority of you in this room have at least one friend that's just going through a difficult season of life. Right? Maybe they're going through a divorce. Uh, maybe they just experienced the loss of a loved one. And maybe they're suffering with a season of depression. As their friend, what will you do about it? And I think all too often nowadays our answer is nothing. We will do nothing. Why? I mean, why is it that so many of us, we see our friends having a hard time, and yet we sit on the sidelines? I'll just be honest with you. I think it's because so many of us nowadays, we are bathing our minds, not in the word of God, but in the culture. We're so immersed in the culture through entertainment, through news, through all of these things, that we've just been immersed in this idea of American culture that says the purpose of life is to pursue your own happiness. To look out for number one. Make sure that you are happy. So if you go and you sit with your friend, you just sit with them in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their depression, that's not going to make you feel happy, right? It's not going to make you feel happy at all. In fact, it's going to make you feel quite drained. But sometimes that's just what friendship is. Sometimes friendship is just sitting with the other person in their pain, as Job's friends did with him in the Bible. Yeah, it might be hard. It might zap all your strength. It might drain all your energy. It's not going to spark joy. I'll tell you that, right? Take that, Marie. Uh, right? But isn't, isn't that laying down your life? It's laying down your life, your desires, your feelings for your friend. You know, sometimes I think we just fail to realize that when the tables are turned, that we're the ones that drain other people. Like, you don't ever think that you're hard to be around? You ever thought about that? I mean, if no one's ever told you, I'm just going to tell you right now. Sometimes you are ridiculously hard to be around. And your friends, when they come alongside of you, they're like, that was really draining. That's you that they're saying that about. But wasn't it nice when they came and they were with you and they supported you when you were just really down or you were just in a really tough season? They came and they were with you and they laid down their life for you. I think Jesus' golden rule is really helpful here, right? There's Luke 6.31. You know this, but think about it in this concept of friendship. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, real friendship isn't proven by words. It's not like I'm your friend. It's proven by actions. Do to others as you would have them do. You can say that you're friends to a person, but if you never ask them to get together, uh, you never check in and see how they're doing, you're never serving them in their difficult times, you might not really actually be their friend. 
it, it, it might actually just be another consumer friendship that only you tap into when you need something. See, friendship is proven by action, and friends lay their lives down for one another. And so if we're really going to move away, church, out of this sort of consumer version of friendships, then we need to start putting our friends above ourselves, like Jesus does. You know, another great example of this in Scripture is the friendship of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. This is a really good thing to study if you want to look deeper at friendship. Uh, We actually uh, study the book of 1 Samuel as a church back in 2015. And you look at Jonathan and David, and they have this really unique friendship. Because Jonathan is supposed to be the next king of Israel, because his father is the king, King Saul. He's, Jonathan is the prince. But then God says, no, 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 I'm going to take this different person from a different family, David, and I'm going to make him king. Now, if Jonathan was a modern-day American living in 2020, and this happened to him, he would say, no, 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 mm, mm, no way, David, this is my destiny, This is my dream. You're not getting in the way of my story and my pursuit of happiness. But Jonathan doesn't do that. He rejoices in what God's doing in his friend David's story. Jonathan puts his friend's needs above his own. That's a biblical model of friendship. That's what Jesus is talking about. Putting your friend's needs above your own. Do you do that? Okay, like if I was to find out who your top five friends were, maybe like your old top eight, MySpace, anyone? Okay, okay, let's just say I found your top five friends and I went and I interviewed each of the five friends that you're closest with and I asked them this particular question. I said, "How, how many of you would say that this person, and I insert your name, puts your needs above theirs? How many of your friends would say that you put their needs above your own? How many of them? I think for a lot of us, that's, we don't want to think about that. Because we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just stuck in consumer friendships. We're not laying our lives down for other people. And I think deep down inside, one of the reasons that we don't have this sacrificial model of friendship is as we process it out, and I think for a lot of us, this is just subconscious, we go, that would just be really hard, and that would be uncomfortable, and that would take a lot of time and a lot of effort. And you know what that is? This is what we just talked about a month ago. It's us, again, bowing down at the idol of peace. Like the typical American, we're bowing down at the idol of happiness. I must be happy and experience peace at all costs. And that's the driving factor of your life. It's not obedience to the word of God. It's not trusting in God. Your actions are driven by what will make me happy, what will spark a joy in my life. But if you're thinking that way, I would say even that sort of thinking is incorrect. There's a lot of false assumptions wrapped into that. Because any study will show you that having a deep friendship where each person is putting their needs above the other is actually one of the great keys to happiness in life. Now, I'm not saying that happiness is your goal in life. Your aim of life should be to glorify God. But if you're concerned that if you start sacrificing for your friends more, you start putting their needs above yours, you start laying down your life for them, if you're concerned that that's going to make you less happy, 
then I don't think you understand the blessings of reciprocal friendship. I, I want to explain this to you by looking at friendship kind of in a laboratory. Uh, and it's an odd laboratory. It's the laboratory of a prison camp. Uh, there's a book. Uh, it's by a guy named Ernest Gordon. Uh, it's a true account of what life was like uh, in a World War II Japanese a prison camp. Uh, the book is called Through the Valley of the Kwai. I haven't read it yet. It's on my list. Uh, but there's a story from it that I'm, I'm familiar with. And it's the story of a Scottish prisoner who was in the camp named Angus McGillivray. Now, Angus was a Scottish prisoner in this camp that was mostly filled with Americans, Australians, and, and Brits. Uh, one of the things you might know this from is they helped build the infamous uh, bridge over the river Kwai. Well, at one point, the camp had gotten uh, quite ugly. This sort of doggy um, dog mentality had set in. The prisoners, even though they were all a part of the Allies, would literally steal from each other. They were cheating each other. Uh, men would sleep on their packs at night because even then, people would come and steal their stuff from them as they were sleeping. And so survival had become everything. It was sort of law of the jungle, if you will. And that persisted until the news of Angus McGillivray's death spread throughout the camp. Now, at first, nobody could believe that Angus died. Angus was like the biggest, largest, toughest dude in the camp. He was the guy that everybody said, okay, the last person to die in this prison camp is going to be Angus. So how did Angus die? Well, Angus was Scottish, like I said, and the Scottish prisoners had this thing called the buddy system. This is a fascinating thing for a, 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 a prison camp. And in the buddy system, it was your job to do everything you could to make sure that your buddy, who you had been assigned to, didn't die. And Angus took this incredibly serious, seriously. Now, his buddy that he had been assigned to was already sort of on the brink of death, and everybody thought he was going to die. That is, everybody except Angus. And Angus had made up his mind that his buddy was not going to die. And so, for example, somebody had stolen his buddy's blanket, which is a big deal in a prison camp, and so Angus gave his blanket to his buddy. His buddy didn't have enough food. And so Angus would take his rations every day and he would stand over his buddy and say, I'm not leaving until you eat that. And he was a big intimidating guy and so the guy would eat it. Well, just about the time that his buddy started to recover and get healthy again, all of a sudden Angus fell to the floor and he died. And the doctors discovered that he died of starvation complicated by exhaustion because he had been giving his own food, his own shelter. He had given everything he had to his friend, even his own life. But here's the thing. The ramifications of his acts of love and unselfishness had a startling impact on the compound. It's just fascinating that one man's death could do this. But it was like it just was this bomb going off that just woke them up again. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Greater love has no man than this to lay his life down for his friends. I mean, just literally lived out that verse. So word begins to circulate around this World War II camp of Angus's story. And his friend recovers, and he begins to tell the story. And suddenly the men began to change their focus and the feel of the camp began to change. It moved beyond just the law of the jungle. People started living for each other. 
some of them began to think, okay, how can I help you with my talents? So a couple of examples. Um, they all had different talents. One of the people in the camp was a violin maker. Another one was an orchestra leader. One was a cabinet maker. Another was a professor. And so they did all these things. They, they started an orchestra made of homemade instruments in their prison camp. Um, some of them started a church in the prison camp. It was called the Church Without Walls. In fact, this church they started in the prison camp was so powerful that many of the Japanese guards attended the church. They started their own little university in the classes. And instead of stealing from each other, now they were sharing knowledge with each other. They started a library in the prison. And the place was transformed all because of one man gave his life for his friend. It's a fascinating study of sociology. And you can study it because everything in the prison camp is intensified, right? And so it's both easier and it's faster for us to see the natural outcomes that will occur based on how people treat their friends. But See, I believe you can see these real outcomes lived out and played out in real life as well. So listen, think to your life. If the only reason that you're keeping friends in your life is to get something from them or to feel something from them when you're around them, then the nature of your friendship is merely consumerism. And it's just like those people in the prison camp who saw that the other person had something that they could take to help them survive. See, it was that very consumerist mentality that eventually just broke down the entire society of the camp. Much like I believe that our consumer friendships today are ruining the few friendships that we have left. But think about this. When the prisoners began to sacrifice for one another, when they began to put the needs of their friend first, it actually built up society in their camp rather than tearing it down. Consumerism, if we're all living for our own happiness and our own life and friends are just there to help us improve that, it will break down our society. It'll break down your own little society in your own life. As the old adage goes, the only way for you to have a friend is to be one. And so if you keep waiting for your friends to call you, your friends to serve you, your friends to help you and counsel you, your friendships over time, as you get older, will break down. Because you're only thinking about what you can take from them, what you can consume from them. But if you give your life to others and you lay it down for others, you'll find that your friendships will actually be built up. Now, if this feels like a tall order to you as you're thinking about serving your friends and putting their needs first, I assure you that it is a tall order. Without Jesus Christ, it's a tall order. But think about this. I want to show you one more thing from this passage. Look actually to the next two verses. This is verses 14 and 15 now. Jesus says, you are my friends. That's, that's amazing. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. So you, those of you in this room that are believers, you're followers of the Son of God, Jesus, he just said that you are friends with him. You're friends with the Son of God. Not his servant. You're his friend. He laid down his life for you 
his friend. So think, think about this. Okay, if you have this friend whom you can talk to at all times, and you have this friend whom you can pour your heart out to at any time, and you have this friend that says he will never leave you or forsake you, you have this friend that says he loves you unconditionally, then listen to me. If you truly understand that, that you have a friend like that in Jesus, then actually you will develop the emotional capacity to then go out and lay your life down and your needs down for somebody else. It will allow you to live out what we call here the platinum rule. Not the golden rule, but the platinum rule. The platinum rule in scripture is we treat others like Jesus treated us. He laid down his life for us, so we lay down our lives for other people. See, understanding that friendship to him changes everything. And I think we miss it. I think too often we look at our friends and we say things like this. Well, you know, look at her. She kind of, she really messed up our life. She made some bad choices. Yeah, I know I could be over there like helping her out, but honestly, she kind of got herself into this mess and just, you know, it just kind of is what it is. You reap what you sow, right? So, no, no, no. If you understand the gospel and how Jesus treated you, you never say that about your friends. Because you would look at yourself and you'd say, no, 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 no. I actually made a mess of my life. And Jesus didn't look at me and say, well, look at him. He kind of messed up his life. He kind of get what you deserve. Uh Uh-uh. He looked at the mess of our lives and said, I'm coming for you, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. And if you understand what a friend you have in Jesus, then your cup is going to be full and you're going to be able to pour it out to others. But if you don't really understand that, you, you're going to feel dry in your friendships. You'll always be that person that's complaining about your friends. Well, nobody ever calls me or nobody ever. You cannot be a great friend until you first understand what a great friend you have in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your friendship, that you would look at the mess of our lives and actually want to be our friend. That, that, uh, that blows my mind, <laughs> that you have seen all of our sin and you still want to be our friends. We thank you for your love and for your sacrifice and for being our friend. In your name we pray. Amen.